0: is a 12-time Bassmaster Classic qualifier and Elite Series champion made right around $3 million casting for bass. He is the reigning Red Crest champion, but he's walking away from all of that to fish his way into the Elite Series through the Bassmaster Opens. This week, Big Fish Bobby Lane joins me on...
1: I'm Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer.
0: Welcome one, welcome all, friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. And um, hard to believe. I mean, first of all, happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble to all our American listeners. To our Canadian listeners, we have already had Thanksgiving but my family really enjoys football in Turkey. So we get two. I mean, I just figure I, I work enough in the States that that I get to celebrate Thanksgiving twice. Um, hard to believe. I mean, lots of celebrating coming up. 32 days from today is Christmas Day. I bought absolutely nothing for anybody yet. Um, and I'm hoping that my family and loved ones will accept this show and the hard work I put into this show and, and all the stuff we post daily on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. I hope they'll accept that as my gift this year. Um, but probably not. So I'll probably do last minute shopping when we get closer, but this week's show is a gift. And I said it a couple of weeks ago when I had Jake on, we got talking about Bobby Lane and I said, you know, I miss having Bobby Lane on the elite series, but it's not for the reasons that most people would think, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, you, you miss introducing him. It's, sure. That's cool. I mean, I love that job. What I miss is just hanging out with him in the side of his boat. You know what I mean? We'd have these, I'd never leave a conversation with him and not be smiling or laughing. I mean, he's the kind of friend that you spend time with and he tells you stories and you laugh at them at the time. But then you find yourself driving down the road thinking about said story and you're giggling to yourself. He's just that kind of dude. And that's what I've missed about not having Bobby in my life on kind of a weekly basis. But the good news is Bobby Lane is working his way back. I mean, not specifically for our relationship or anything, but... um. He's leaving MLF where he is the reigning Red Crest champion. He is fishing the open. So basically dropping down to a triple a level circuit to try and qualify to get back on the Bassmaster elite series. And I have to commend him for that. It's amazing. You know, the mental power and confidence that pros like him have to walk away from something that's safer for them at that time to take a risk, to chase their dreams. But that's honestly, what they all start with, you know, long before it, it seems weird. Cause it's at this point in their career, but sure. Bobby Lane has that. Sure. Jason Christie has that. Sure. Mike A. Kennelli has that. Sure. Greg Hackney has that. Jacob Prosnick and all the anglers that have fished their way back on because that's how they chased their dream initially. It's just a little more rare that you're maybe at the height of your career and and you make that move. But but there has been some rare moves made in the last number of years in the fishing industry. So it's not very shocking. But um I always say this show oh speaking of which, I mean, I never do this. Let me promo next week's show before we get into Bobby Lane. Next week, a guy returning to the Bassmaster Elite series as legends under the Legends exemption former Bassmaster Classic champion, angler of the year, the one and only Larry Nixon. That's right. That's next week's guest. So I hope you're tuned in for that because, I mean, I might be a little bit fanboy giddy during that one because it's freaking Larry Nixon. You know, the dude, oh, gosh, look at the size of that bass fighting the bass at the beginning of the Bassmaster. That was him in Florida, Mr. Mega Bucks. That's next week's guest. But this week, we're happy to have Bobby Lane here. And I've always said with this show, there's a lot of fishing podcasts out there. There really is. I mean, it's an excessive amount of fishing podcasts. And and, I mean, I just piled on in the last few years. So I'm not complaining about it, but there's a lot out there. And people say, well, how's yours different? And how's it? I literally try to have a conversation with friends. The same conversation that we have when we hang out you know, at the side of their boat when they're rigging after an event, before an event, when I run into them at the gas station, I hope to be able to give you guys a little bit of those same conversations that we have. It's just real friends having real conversations. And uh, and some guests are easier and some guests are harder to do that with. But I think this week's show is going to be a pretty good example of um, one of one of those boatside chats. I mean, one thing that Bobby Lane is not short of is fishing ability and stories. And um, and I hope you enjoy this one. I mean, um, he truly is one of a kind. Big fish, Bobby Lane. Bobby Lane, I am excited to have you back in my life.
1: How are you doing, dude? I'm doing good. It's cooled off down here in Florida. Things are things are popping. The fish are fixing to start making that adjustment and that's one of my favorite times to fish so i'm just chomping at the bit when the next time i get to go out on these florida lakes and bust some of them big large mouth
0: it's so weird how how
1: people in florida
0: are like oh it's cooling down i've been looking forward to the cool down and everybody where i'm from is like oh it's cooling down (laughs) not looking forward to the cool down but don't worry You'll be surrounded by Canadians any day now, I'm sure.
1: I figured pr- everybody is probably on their way down once they see our temperatures are in the 70s during the day and we're complaining still, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, but man, in the summer, like, what do you do in the
0: summer? Like, it gets uh, ridiculously hot.
1: It is. You go through about four shirts a day. If you go outside, you immediately drip complete sweat from head to toe and you change clothes two to three times a day it's in between picking those kids up from school or whatever you if you go outside it's pretty miserable um and if you do decide to fish you need to go crack it dawn or absolute right before dark but then that's when the mosquitoes eat you alive so uh yeah pretty miserable you're pretty miserable <laughs>
0: But air conditioning is, is a wonderful invention. It really yeah,
1: is. It's expensive, but yes, it is uh what that's basically from like one o'clock to six o'clock. I if you were to travel the roads in Florida, you could go anywhere you want, doing a hundred miles an hour because there's nobody on.
0: <laughs> so you've had a busy few years and I, I've missed you. But um, first of all, I mean, congratulations on the Red Crest. I've said congratulations to you already personally, but as part of this. I, I guess I should congratulate you again on on our podcast, um, but uh, I'm really excited to see what you're up to this coming year. I'm excited to, to get you back on the Elite Series. You're, you're, I don't know if you know this, but you are secretly one of my favorite guys.
1: Well, that is good to hear. I, uh, I didn't know that after listening to the last podcast that I heard uh, where I drove away through uh, Jake's uh chest where he has the raised scar i heard a few comments from you saying um how you how you uh missed me and and you wanted me to come back so that was pretty cool to hear all that and uh yeah you know i'm excited i'm i'm ready to go um you know i've i've, I've been 11 years on the elite series and i spent 11 years at major league fishing so it's like okay you know what what do we do and um you know after fishing the pro circuits this year the five fish limit um it was it was kind of like going back to my roots and i and i really did miss it and um i uh watching my brother win the classic in 2012 um and then having him there with me this year winning the red crest i think we're both kind of on the on the fence of you know i want another big one immediately and he wants one also and and uh he wants what i got and i and he and he's got what i want so um you know it's it's just part of what we do you know i mean the world championship the red crest and the bassmaster classic to have that trifecta so to speak triple that's something that only a few anglers could ever do in their career i think me greg hackney jacob Wheeler, jordan lee um and i don't remember who else if somebody's won that world championship so there's a few of us that could only do that now that the world championship's gone um man, what a, what a feat that would be. And I know Greg's hungry for that. And, uh, you know, if, if the other anglers got that opportunity, Jordan Lee could do it if he wins the red crest, but, um, you know, there's, there's a few of us that are, that would really appreciate that to have on the mantle for sure.
0: One thing I, I got to respect about you, and I didn't really start thinking about it till now, but you have proved yourself through your life to be like, if you want something, you just go get it. Because this isn't the first time you've done this. I mean, initially you were FLW and you had everything set up, every reason not to leave FLW. You know what I mean? And you took yep, the yep. risk, came over to the Elite Series and and obviously went and fished MLF. And now to make it back, to, is it is it
1: easier to make that kind of commitment now? That you've already done that several times? I think back when I was younger, Dave, when I was with FLW, that was in the start of my career. You know, I spent three years there. Um, and back then I just didn't care about anything. Okay. I didn't have sponsors. I just loved catching fish and wanted to be the best fisherman I possibly could. And, um, I, I came over to the elite series and, uh, you know, as I got a little bit older, I transferred over to the cup events and I was doing both for a while, but, And since then, I've gained sponsorship over the years. Um, And I think it's made it easier for me to make a decision like this, um, to be loyal to my sponsors, number one, but to have them on my back and be able to make a decision like this is it's makes it a lot easier for me. I was gonna, I was making this decision um, for sure. And to know that they had my support on this makes it even, you know, a lot easier for me to say, okay, I know I'm, 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 I can fish where I want to for the most part and feel really good about it you know I'm I'm signed up for the first invitational on Okeechobee next year I'm signed up for I'm going to sign up for three Toyotas and I'm going to fish all all nine open so I mean I still got a full schedule but it's nice to just kind of be able to pick and choose what you want I wish it was a little easier to do that on on the main tours but um you know you got to take what what you can get but yeah this decision was easier simply because uh, back then I didn't care. Now I have sponsorship and it seems to make it a lot easier. How, how much did
0: watching Christie win the classic watching Christie, make that move, make the risk. I mean, it's, it's, it's a risk. I mean, anytime you, you leave, take your foot off first, go to second. Yeah. It's always yeah. a risk, but yeah. how much did watching him make that risk and then come and win the classic How much did that motivate you, or or what did that feel like for you watching that?
1: I I don't think that had a lot of motivation, to be honest. And congratulations to Jason Christie. Me and him just did a Toyota shoot out in Missouri with Dynamic. It was awesome getting to hang out with him. Um, Me and him have always been buddies over the years. But that him winning that classic really um, didn't really was the reason for this decision at all. I think winning the Red Crest this year in March um, and knowing that I want what's next, the next trophy, I think that had something to do with it and congrats to Jason Christie, but, and to watch him win it, that wire to wire and actually get to hearing how he missed the fish that he won the classic with three times to- or two times in a row. And he had 15 minutes to go and he swank, he's pulled the boat into that same exact spot, made that same pitch, got it wrapped up in the cables, but he got it out. Um, just brought chills to my spine. You know, I mean, it's like me hauling that fish in yeah. a minute two minutes and 30 seconds to go. I mean, they were both just the way the champions went down this year, me and Jason Christie, it was, it was awesome to watch, but I think it's more of, you know, wanting to complete my career and all anglers want all anglers are shooting for what the top level is. And that's the red crest. That's the Bassmaster classic. And, you know, if you fall short, you fall short, and many guys will. But to know that you you can go for it and try to do it is one thing. And and if I don't try now, I'm gonna I'm gonna regret it down the road. You know, I I I would love to win another Red Crest. Trust me. But there was one that I didn't get for ten or eleven years, and it was the Bassmaster Classic, and I made it a lot of times over there, and I came so so close. And and I think as maybe close win- as
0: you can go without winning
1: <laughs> it, like literally in fifteen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, even when the one Alton Jones won, I mean, I was right there. I had a dead fish that I couldn't call. And I and, and man, watching Casey Ashley win that one, I fell to my knees when when that went down. I thought I had that one because I caught a great big one that day with a bunch of other nice fish. And um, I think once you win one, a big one like that, and I'm sure if you have this conversation with Jason Christie or any any of the champions that have won a major, I think they're hungry hungrier for the next major. So um, after winning the Red Crest, I feel rejuvenated. I feel mentally and physically more and ready than I ever have been to try to go after something. And and um, what's left on my uh, mantle to put up there is the Bassmaster Classic. And I'm really, really hungry to get back and, and go through that again. I,
0: I I would love to see that happen for you. And there's, there's not a fishing fan on earth that, that wouldn't <laughs> love to see that happen, I think. <laughs>
1: it'd be the um, cinderella story right that's what somebody said but not really cinderella because we're bass fishermen but i think <laughs> it would be it, it would kind of be you know it it would be super special for sure
0: yeah i remember a conversation i don't even know if you remember it but i remember because it really stuck in my head a conversation me and you had might have been a week might have been a day after my uh, sometime right after the 15 classic when you were that close I remember talking to you and just like, I remember feeling like, wow, this, this is so like, nobody pays attention to how crushing it is when you like all the hoopla and everything's going on. And you're like, Hey, I did. Okay. If you, you would have took second going into the event, but when it's all done and you're driving away and you're like, man, I was so close. You definitely seem motivated and a little bit shattered. What does that feel like the, the, you know, I wouldn't have asked you this in 15, but I'll ask you now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's actually heartbreaking. I mean, um, and that's another reason for the switch is I treat the Bassmaster classic, the red crest, the world championship, any major that you go into, I treat them as one tournament. Okay. I leave everything else and forget about everything for those three days of practice and the off days, I keep my mind focused on exactly what's in front of me. And that's how do I put myself in position to try to win the biggest tournament in in bass fishing history. And after 15, um, man, it was, it was, I I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, it's, you, you come in knowing and people tell you, of course, at the boat ramp, oh, you won, you won, you won. And that's the last thing you want to hear, because when I didn't win, it's even more of a sucker punch, although I made some side bets that day that made it a lot easier um, (laughs) to get some of my money back. But I, I love second places, but there's nothing like first place. The difference between when I won the Red Crest in March, 2,000 plus text messages in a matter of 12 hours, second place you get your buddies to send you a text, you know, you get the 15 or a hundred text messages there. Everybody wants that win. I mean, that's what we call the carrot, right? We dangle the carrot in front of everybody and enough people go, you know, we're doing the, the fishing because that carrots there and, and we need the carrot there. And um, in 15, I felt like the carrot was mine. Like I had already stashed it in my pocket. I fished my lights out. I couldn't have fished any cleaner, any better. It wasn't meant to be, you know, and and that's kind of where I'm at in my life. It just wasn't meant to be when I do have a top 10 and I struggle on the final day or come so close to winning. It wasn't meant to be because the red crest and the way that went down, Dave, was in two minutes and 38 seconds. I catch a fish that weighs on the third and final reway. It weighs two pounds and it called Bobby Lane the champion. Right. I mean, that was meant to be. Yeah. So 15 just wasn't meant to be and and um, I, I feel like uh, now that I've pursued in my career a little bit, won some other tournaments, like now I I have that little knot. Maybe I wasn't ready then in 15. maybe I didn't, wasn't gonna be ready to handle a win. I'm ready for a win now and and I'm, I've never I've set it on on camera when I won the Red crest. I've never been hungrier for anything and and uh, trust me, this Florida boy is hungry, hungry, hungry for the next thing thrown his way. It's weird.
0: And I hate that. I hate when people say, well, it's, if it's my time, it's my time. You know what I mean? Like I said, an MC it's, it's, it's the most answer you can ever give. But the more I watch and the more you see the two stories you told about Christie's classic win and your red quest win this same year, you kind of start to have to feel like that. You know what I mean? Because things happen that shouldn't happen when it's meant to be. And things happen that shouldn't happen when it's not meant to be, you know, and things just go the opposite.
1: And you hear other guys say they horrible practice and they win the tournament. Right. I mean, you got to give, you got to give God the credit, let him to put point you in the direction. And wherever my Phoenix and Yamaha take me, I I hope that I'm making the right decisions at the right time. And if they are the official bite, I'll get them in and, and put them in the live well and, or catch them and throw them back and whatever. And if, if it's meant to be, then you're going to be the champion. I mean, the whole thing is already pre-staged all we have to do is show up and and be the best uh, you know, soldiers we can be out there. And um, you know, I'm I'm getting a little older. So the AOIs that I never got the, the, the wins would all be great. Trust me. Any win is as big as the, is the one win, but every one of us, millions of fishing guys, young, old, upcoming everybody is after two trophies let's face it i mean one's the red crest and one's the bassmaster classic and to to have one of those is is huge but to complete the puzzle you have to get the other one So there's very few anglers that have done that and um it's uh it, it would be you know they say it's life-changing it is life-changing number one three hundred thousand dollars is nothing <laughs> To shy about. Trust me, it it's uh it's nice having a little cushion going into the next couple of years for sure. But um, you know, I got a I got a road ahead of me, Dave. I got a road ahead of me. I I uh instead of three opens, I'm fishing nine opens, you know. I mean, and this is the first time they've done that in a while. I like the setup, I like a lot of the new lakes, I like the off limit. They're cutting that off 30 days. Nobody can pre practice now for a month and just live in the boat ramp. I think that's fair. And let's face it, you know, when you're doing all nine, I think it directs you in a path that lines you up for where you're gonna go next, whether it's you know, the Bass Pro Tour or the Elite Series, but it lines you up for what you need to be. This three and in stuff is it it's hard for guys to go against them and then say, Okay, I'm ready, I qualified. Well, eh, you know, your name's at the bottom, you're gonna get kicked out of the points, and now we're back to scratching heads again. So Um, you know, it's a road. I'm ready for it. I'm looking forward. I love the opens. I fished them from day one. One open, I didn't get in, I remember. Um, And I called Chris Bowes to get me in. He said, Bobby, I can't help you. I did the thing the right way. I called Trip Weldon to get me in. He said, I can't help you. I called Bruce Aiken, who's now recently retired. He couldn't get me in. I finally called Jerry and He said, Bobby, some things just have to be done, don't they? I said, Jerry, I'm leaving this up to you. Five minutes later, I was in that open and I hated not being in that open. And I almost won it. I think that's the one uh somebody won. I ended up finishing second, but um it was, you know, I loved fishing those opens. I don't mind the boats. I don't mind the co-anglers. None of that bothers me. I like to just get out there, be myself, and catch as many as I can, man. That's that's what I grew up doing, and that's the way I still am. Do, do you feel different going into this season? Like is there nerves or something? I mean, <laughs> like I
0: would just feel. I mean, you're still doing the same job, but you, you're going to a different factory, a different, you, everybody's eyeball, not that everybody's eyeballs right. haven't been on yeah. you for years, right. but I'd feel you have to feel something different going into this season.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're kind of uh, derailed your pro level, right. And kind yeah. of gone to the next level. I mean, I'll jump in the invitationals and some of these others, but yeah, I'm kind of, I kind of, I'm going back, but, what I keep telling myself to keep myself motivated. It is kind of a gut punch to myself, but I I give myself several gut punches and uh, have recovered from all of them. But this is more like, okay, you got a year to go out there and prove yourself. Okay. I got to prove myself again. And that kind of motivates me. It gives me a goal. It gives me something to drive for. Not only do I have one goal is to make it to the elite series. The second goal is figure out how to win one of those opens and knock the Bassmaster classic out in 2024. So I have two goals in mind. And, and, you know, after winning the team event and the Red Crest and the world championship, those were all goals that I had. And I, I accomplished all of those goals, grace of God, you know, everything, the stars aligned. I I did it right. Well, now I have two more goals. One is to qualify for the elite series. And the second is try to make the Bassmaster classic next year. So of course you always second guess yourself a little bit, but every time I, I think about it. I'm like, no, we're throwing that rear view mirror away. We're looking on, focusing on what's in front of us and we're going to keep our foot on the throttle. And, and the more I do that and keep a positive attitude about everything, man, it just seems everything's rolling in the right direction right now.
0: Well, you brought it up earlier and, um, uh, big reason that I want to do this podcast is whether you can confirm or deny the story shared by Jake, um, of the raised scar. How do you remember said, if you, for, for viewers, if you haven't heard the story, go back and watch it. It was in our last podcast with Jake. Um, How do you remember the story going down Bobby Lane?
1: Oh, well, I remember when Jake was telling the story, he said I was swinging from left to right. Well, the party left out. A lot of people don't know that I flipped left-handed. So I use a left-handed Abu Garcia reel with a, with an Abu flipping stick, of course, but When I set, I set with my right hand, as opposed to most people set with their right hand because they real right-handed. So he was standing on the passenger side of my boat and I was flipping a clump that was kind of more, maybe like at that uh, 10, 11 o'clock, okay? So I'm kind of faced this way as I'm flipping here. So when I set the hook and that bait comes out of there, and I got two more stories if you can keep me on, but I want to get through this one because Jake, I saw him do this. He is not lying, Dave. I ripped a jig out of that clump. You got to picture this now, Ross Barnett. It's got a bunch of big hay grass, and inside of some of that grass is like a little bit of pond weed or or something. Um, and and it, you needed a little extra weight to get through it, and that's where the bass were holding. We were there kind of right pre front, and I and I had a I was in the top ten. That's why Jake was in the boat. It was a it was an awesome event for me. But I remember pitching into that. <laughs> And when it went through that clump, I could see the clump shake, which immediately triggers Bobby Lane's brain to set the hook because I mean, I <laughs> love the clip and I, and I've done so much of it. I knew she grabbed it. Well, the problem was she only grabbed the trailer on the jig and I got 65 pounds spider wire ultra cast on, and I am amped up the weather's cooler. So my veins are just boiling. And when I clicked the, the reel, I swung as hard as I could because I really knew it was the one that's going to win the tournament, right? I'm not going to lose this fish. I mean, I got a big five-aught gaff hook in this thing. I'm going to drill it. And when it came out of there, it sounded like a missile. And I couldn't get the words (laughs) out of my mouth fast enough, like, look out or heads up. All I heard was, and I'm like, what in the world? And like, I thought it hit a tree, right? I didn't know what it (laughs) hit. And he is curled up on the back deck going, oh, oh, God, I just killed him. I killed the guy. Oh, what, how am I going to explain this when I get in, you know? I mean, there's only 10 of us because it's the top 10, but I've got myself in a jam here. And he's laying back there and, and blood is starting to come out of his sweatshirt exactly like he said. And I'm like, oh, how how bad is it? And he, when he pulled his sweatshirt back in his other shirt, he actually removed the jig from his skin, through the t-shirt, through the sweatshirt. Then he took his clothes off so we could look and it, it. looked like a bullet had drilled him right there. And I said, dude, are you okay? Of course he's shaken up, he's bleeding. I'm scared to death. I don't even know if I can fish anymore. And, and he's like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And so when he raised his hand, he said, I swear that that happened. And he has a raised scar for the rest of that life. I'm looking forward. To seeing it. I hope he lets me sign it actually. I think he <laughs> would as long as it came back off. But dude, I can remember it like it was yesterday because you know it's it's the fish that could win. And I actually think it was probably a gar or something that swam through and knocked the trailer sideways and hit it so hard because the fish wasn't there. And definitely he was on the wrong end of this receiving part of it. And it it knocked him, you know. I, I broke a lens on a camera. Um, I stuck a one ounce weight down when we uh, had the classic one year in uh, New Orleans or yeah, New Orleans, when everybody ran down to Venice, I told the guys like, Bobby, that weight's so close to me, it's going to hit my lens. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to quit setting the hook. After the fifth time I set the hook, the weight went right through his camera. He goes, well, there's five grand down the drain. Well... I, I hate it. I said if we could catch this fish, the five grand becomes a lot easier because I was in the top ten on that Bassmaster Classic on the on the final day. But um, I do have another one. I got to tell you. I got to tell you this. All of those are true. I'm on Lake Fork. Okay. It's in Mar- a- Late March, April. The fish are or early March, late March. Year COVID was here, 2020. Yep. In great shape after the first day. It was a Bass Pro Tour event. I'm in great shape. I only need to catch one or two fish and I'm going to make the knockout round. I, the wind's starting to come out of the north. All the sight fish are starting to leave a little bit, but I, I, you get the 30-minute ride around and I cruised past this dock and I saw like a five-pounder swim out from this dock or right on the corner of it. So I'm doing my lap around blah, blah, blah. He's fixing to say lines in and I fish a little bit and I'm like, I'm going to ease over to that dock before the wind gets too bad. Of course, we have our boat official sitting right in the passenger seat. I pull up to the bed and I power pull down and I'm looking and the five pounder is sitting really visible on the bed. So simple to see. And I start pitching to it and out of nowhere, an eight pounder comes into the bed. I'm like, oh, here we go. I got an eight and a five now that we're fixing to, to put on the scale. And I pitch over there and I pitch over there and I pitch over there and the five pounder finally grabs it. The eight pounder is kind of being finicky a little bit. And I'm like, well, let me catch this one. I can get on my way. You know, you hate sitting on a sight fish so long, especially in all you can catch because you're burning time and you fall, you find yourself falling down the score tracker. But um, I said, I need this one and, and blah, blah, blah. So I, I pitch in there, the five pounder, she noses up on it. I, I, I was flipping a uh, five inch, uh, general berkeley maxent general because the water was cooler in that maxent it just fires them up and she went down and grabbed it swam off i set the hook and i missed her i'm like oh you gotta be kidding me and i i get down i put a new general on and i stand back up and the five pounder's gone and the eight pounder is looking at me like flip to me flip to me and i'm like you got it right <laughs> so i pitch in there dave she grabs my bait the minute it hits the bed. The bed, I set the hook. No bait, or she took off a quarter of the bait, so I just re-rigged it. I flip back in there. I set the hook. No bait. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! I flip back in there again. She swims over to it. I said, you know what? I got a better idea. I reeled it in, and I put it down to about a three-inch general. I just put the. I had a 5 on fusion hook in it, just to where the hook can get in the tip of the general. And I flip it back in there. She opens up her gills. Whoosh! I crack it as hard as I can, and it's like air. Like wh- what happened? I don't have the fish. I don't have my bait. I don't have anything. The line, my braids, kind of blowing in the wind a little bit. And I'm and I'm reeling, and I don't even know where my hook or my weight is. My official was literally looking this way towards the bed. Okay, I had a three-eighths ounce uh, flat-out tungsten weight on. I set the hook so hard, the weight in the hook hit him in the side of the head. I looked for my hook and weight. I couldn't find it. All I could see was about two inches of my hook hanging out of his upper temple spot. The weight has disappeared. My braid is hanging out. He's dripping a little bit of blood, and the hook is embedded in his face, right? And the weight is gone. Everything's gone. And I'm like, dude, you're dead. Like, you're going to die. I don't know what to do. You got to go in. He says, Bobby, I've been a sheriff. I'm a retired sheriff. I'm tough. Trust me. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand. I'm not sending you a picture of this because if I do, I'm going to pass out taking it. (laughs) And he says, I said, what do you want me to do? He goes, can you get it out? I'm like, yeah, but dude, it's going to blow a hole an inch wide in your forehead. So I wrapped 65 pound spider wire on my hand, like you do, you know, where you pop the hook. And I'm like, I got my CUDA, I had a CUDA band uh pack in the boat. I got my CUDA back, my uh safety, my kit out, right? I know I'm gonna need everything I got in this thing, <laughs> hook I'm flying out. And I got like put my knee in his chest and I wrapped that 65 pound braid on there. I closed my eyes and I say I'm gonna count to three. And when I got to one, I yanked as hard as I could and I pulled the the three eighths ounce weight, the hook and everything comes shooting out of his head. And of course the blood just comes running down. I immediately take iodine and alcohol, clean it up the best I can. I put a patch over it and I'm like, all right, I got the hook and weight down. I got to get back and see if this fish is on the bed. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I, I feel okay. I'm like, you, I'm trying to figure out a way to get the eight pounder, but not be rude, right? I, I, can't, I can't be rude. And and so I look and the blood's just pouring out of his face. I'm like, I can't catch, I can't go up there and look yet. So I, I get more patch, I get band-aid up. I get him all cleaned up. And I said, dude, are you feeling okay? And all I wanted him to say was, yes, I feel okay. And he said, yes, I'm fine, Bobby. I run to the front deck. I grab another general. I rig it on as quick as I could. I drop it in the bed. She eats it immediately. I strip off about three yards of line. She starts swimming off. I set the hook. She weighs eight pounds, nine ounces. He's, he's still alive. He's doing good. He's enough to weigh the fish. He weighed at eight, nine. We recorded. I move up into like the top five. So I know I'm locked into going in the knockout round. In all day, all I can. I said, okay, now I'm going to take you in and see if we need surgery, stitches, whatnot. He says, if you take me in, I'm going to be pissed because my job is to weigh your fish and be with you during the day. That's how tough this guy is wow and lo and behold i fished all day with him in the boat he, and we t- when he came in the medical people looked at him everything was fine to this day i've never ever seen anything such like that in my life now i've hit a i got a raised scar on a guy i've sent a weight <laughs> in a hook through a guy's temple i have broke a <laughs> camera lens what's next i'm hoping nothing but i can't quit flipping dave i love to flip and and uh You know, uh, I hope this doesn't somebody's gonna I see it. Here's, here's what's going to happen. My dad sent a guy to the hospital two weeks ago, I'll send you the picture, you can post it. He stuck a five aught hook through the bottom of his eyelid had to go to the doctor and get it get it removed. The next time my dad took the guy fishing, he put a, a football helmet in the boat and made the guy wear it while my, he was casting. But that's what's going to happen to me. Nobody, I'm going to have co-anglers next year that are going to show up with full face masks if they watch this podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the truth of it is, though, it freaking happens a lot. Like you, you, the, nobody, like, and I always say, all the camera folks, especially since live became a thing. Like, the, I mean, they're they're live. All day, there's no break. You've got that brick on your shoulder, yep. and and we all give them credit for that. But the little thing they don't get credit for is the fact that they literally work in a line, <laughs> a, a landmine. Well, and let's the weirdest thing is that uncomfortable moment, like you talked about, because you guys are so driven to succeed. And every time I've ever seen it happen, they're like, uh,
1: let me help you. But they're really, uh, I really want to help you, but they really are focused (laughs) on the eight pounder. (laughs) Well, let's face it. When they say, Hey, can we get an update? Or Hey, how's your day going? The reason they ask those questions is because we are up there and we are focused on one thing. And that's the next cast, the next pitch, where's the next throw going to be. But you know, when you're, when you got guys throwing spinner baits or, or moving baits or you know topwaters and stuff like that now all of a sudden if one comes back that's kind of slows the trajectory down when you're flipping with those heavier weights or those weights when that thing comes through the air man it picks it's picking up steam as it's whacking you so um you know i i uh you're right though we are so focused on what's in front of us that we have to we have to um we i forget who's back there like oh I didn't even, I I forgot you were back there, you know, and, and they're like, Hey, give us an update. And I'm like, yeah, okay, here's my update. But that's how, that's how competitive us, all of us are as anglers and how driven we are to, to try to get to the next level, right. Or try to win the red press, try to win the classic. We are that focused and and we drive all our attention and efforts into, into our next cast, our next win, our next everything. And, and sometimes things like this get in the way and it's not pretty, I promise.
0: <laughs> it's, I mean, I know it's not a big thing anymore, but SeaWorld used to have the splash zone, right? Where well, the way, the, if you sit in these first four rows, you're going to have a great view, but you might get wet. Well, it's, I guess, the same when you're a passenger in a pro's boat. Yep, um, yep. Wow. That is, and uh, I've never, I've nine anglers. On the elite series i've removed the hook from just because i'm hmm. on the water a lot and it happens right. and every right. generally all the other media is like i don't want to ever ever <laughs> go near you know, that the angler
1: wants is it out of their hand right so yeah. they can like the fishing greg hackney so, came up to me at Dardanelle one year and uh me and him are fishing the same area and you know how greg hackney is he don't want nobody near him he don't want nobody around him well unfortunately me and greg found the same fish he was on the juice and i was kind of working around working in the same area and uh, we worked well together but um I noticed he quit casting and I'm like something's wrong and he he eases over to me real slow and he says I did it I said what'd you do Greg and he and he held up his hand and he had a strike king 2.5 tattooed between this finger and this thumb he physically couldn't open this hand so he he could cast he, he, he could, he couldn't cast, he could reel, but he couldn't cast. And he's like, <laughs> do you have dice? And I said, here's what we're going to do, Greg. And I got him tiled up. I got him dolled up, just like you said, and I pulled those hooks out of him, but um you're, you're right. We're, we don't, we're so focused on what's going on and all Greg wanted. We were both in the cut and we both wanted to get back to fishing. I didn't really want to go help him, but yet he needed the help. And me and Greg are buddies. So getting him back to fishing was really cool but all the anglers want and i know you're going to tell me this dave is they want that hook out immediately they so they can make the next cast they don't care if it tears off half their finger or they need three stitches you're going to wrap that up and they're in their next cast i mean that's how driven motivated and competitive this these anglers are nowadays for sure it's pretty wild and i think that's also one of the under thought of
0: things people think of competitive fishing, and they think of it like, it's weird. People think of competitive golf totally different than they think of recreational golf. It's a totally different activity. So is fishing, but people don't think about that in the way that like how focused an angler is throughout the day, like the amount of times that we'll be covering them and we'll sneak up and they'll be shocked that you're there. Cause they're that focused <laughs> on what's in front of them right. How focused throughout the day. If you had to put a percentage, like what percentage of your day in a competition day, are you 100% focused on fishing and what percentage of it does your mind kind of wander off?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to say, let's stage this out by takeoff midday and then coming into weigh-in, okay? I think that's where your focus levels are. You you honestly can't be focused 100% of the day. It just can't happen. Our machines don't work that way. But when takeoff and they call that boat number, your focus mode all of a sudden goes to 100%. When you arrive to your first spot, you, give, you are 100% focused for an hour and a half, let's call it. Like every single cast, you know where you shook them off. You know what you need to do. If they've moved, you've already making that decision to, to change this bait. You already know what the weather's doing, so you're prepared. As the afternoon goes on, let's say you're really sucking, right? You ain't got nothing, but maybe one small one. Now, as the afternoon goes on, your focus level kind of eases off a little bit, although you're fishing hard because kind of now you're fishing new water. Everything you practice isn't working. Well, then it's coming down. You got an hour before weigh in. You're like, I can't come in with one or two fish. I mean, I just can't. So now your focus level goes up to 100% again. How am I going to figure out? Is it going to be skipping a worm under a dock or, or throw picking up a drop shot or doing something? I'm, I'm talking more smallmouth lakes. I mean, largemouth lakes, not smallmouth, because... I would never say drop shot trying to catch a fish for smallmouth. They, they just give me a flatworm and a drop shot and I'm going to have the best time of my life of anywhere I smallmouth fish. But now you're focused on how do I get my limit, right? Or how do I salvage up the day? And I think that's the way it goes in the first, second, third, even into the fourth day. But if you if you smash them in the first hour, now all of a sudden your focus becomes, How do I go better myself moving into the second and third day? Let me try to find something else. So your focus shifts into more of a practice zone. But I say that very first day of the tournament, there's three stages that go throughout the day where you're 100% focused. And I'm going to say at least an hour, hour and a half, which if you add all them up, what I'm no math genius, but four and a half hours out of an eight hour day, you are laser driven to get something done. And I think if you get it done early, then you your focus drives somewhere else. And then, of course, the second day, if you struggle or you caught them really good, it's okay. What do I need? You know, how, what do I need to get into the top 50 cut? What do I need to maintain my lead? I need to manage my fish. And that's kind of where you shift your focus. But that first day, I'm going to say four and a half hours, our brains are doing a triple cycle for sure, trying to figure out what to do. I think that's
0: one of the major reasons that you see there's no other sport that you have to stay focused as long as you, and that's why you see when, when an angler has an injury, you know, bad shoulder, bad, rich, bad back, whatever they're dealing with, it seems to affect their performance so much more than you see in other sports. Because I mean, if you're playing golf, it's number one, it's not eight hours long, unless you're really, really bad.
1: <laughs> I'm playing golf today, Dave, and and I'm going to the golf course. I'm going to see a bunch of buddies that I haven't seen in a while I'm not even going to call it recreational golf. I'm going to stand up there and swing the club a few times. And at the end, they'll tell me what I owe and have a cold pop in between. And that's what golf is to me, but you're right. When they, when they have injuries, they can't perform at all. When an angler has injuries, we still can fish. We can, as long as it's not in your arms or your shoulders, you can still cast, you know, or stand or sit. We have, you can put the butt seat up there. I mean, it's a little different for us, for sure. I think guys can, maintain if we're injured a little more than golf baseball you know the dl list we you don't see that in fishing
0: well and you don't get paid if you don't there i think that's (laughs) the biggest difference too is i mean yeah
1: yeah, they get paid to sit on their rear ends right
0: yeah i mean if somebody said hey you're on the dl but here's you you're still getting paid everything's good you'd probably be like yeah i should probably recuperate this for a while but I mean, the trade-off is that the teams they play for probably don't really care about them and fill their body full of all sorts of painkillers that, <laughs> that they pay for down the road. It's
1: going to be that way soon, right, Dave? We're all going to get paid this giant amount of money to show up and then we can just pick, cherry pick and have the best time out there. Uh, yeah. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong.
0: <laughs> it would be wonderful if. Yes. How? It's been a long time since you haven't been on the road with your brother. How are you going to adjust to
1: missing Pinto out on the road? (laughs) Pinto has actually been calling me more than he ever had more more in the last couple of weeks than he has all year on the road. So when we stayed at the, when we did the pro circuits, um, it was me, Justin Lucas, Cal Lane, and Chris Lane. We would all rent a house. Like those were really fun times. Now the pro circuits are gone the championships gone, blah, blah, blah. So those aren't an option to fish anymore. I mean, the, the one in Okeechobee that I signed up for it's, more or less because I live here. But um, well, on the Bass Pro Tour, we really didn't spend a ton of time together. Towards the end, we did. Um, but, you know, if he was in Group A or I was in Group B, he would fish one day, I would fish the next day. We really didn't get a whole lot of time to spend together. And let me tell you, as anglers, all anglers, elite anglers, anyone, we put so much time in and so much effort. When we get off the water, it's not Oh, let's go have a bunch of fun. It's figure out how to get to sleep the fastest and get up the next day to be prepared for what's in front of you. Um, It's, you get to talk a little bit, but when one guy's doing his tackle, the other guy doesn't want him next to him because you know, you don't want to know maybe I'm tying on a little secret. I didn't tell you about or something like that, but I will miss Chris and I'll miss, I'll miss several of those guys, but you know what? Friendships laugh last a lifetime. You know, I mean, we have phones, we can call, we can talk. Um, You know, we all travel back and forth. I mean, it's, it's not the end of the world. Um, I, 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 this is a good thing. I think it's going to get me closer to my family. You know, we, we spent, I spent a lot of time on the road this year to have them come to the, some of the weigh-ins and stuff like that. It's going to be easier. I can spend more. My son's, my daughter's 13, my son's 15 and my daughter's 18. Wow. Two weeks ago, I was saying they were three, five, and seven, right? I mean, that's how quick they grew up, and I'm tired of, and 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 it's uh you know it's time for them to start figuring out a way to travel a little more too. If I can get my son and daughter to get their grades up, I have enough time <laughs> affording the tutors that they got. But um, you know, the, everybody's getting older, Dave, and and uh, they they really want to get back to the Bassmaster Classic. So, Dad has a dad has a goal and a job to do and that's get his button gear and get get this family back to the Bassmaster Classic it, it's weird for me and
0: you're totally right and it the and your kids it's about to get even quicker you see that with the 18 year old like it it's almost like your kids until they're like 11 or 12 they're little kids they just become yeah. a bigger that's version true. of the and then all of a sudden <laughs> it seems like it's just like I, I don't know my kids like when they go to high school you're like well this is Gonna be like the other school, and they'll be there for a long time. But you're like, what? You're graduating next year. How does this? <laughs> it's... But the weirdest thing for me, and you mentioned Cal, and wow, he's turning yeah. out to be quite the angler. It's so weird because when Cal and, <laughs> Randy Howell's kids, yeah, Laker Lake and Howell. Oakley, and all of those, you know, Marshall Browning, Mar- Browning
1: and all the right uh Jackson Rabanis I mean, I, I used to watch these kids pick up rocks and throw them in my, at my boat, you know, when they were three years old and I didn't get mad at them. Now I'm trying to beat these guys, you know, and, and, and to go back real quick, the Pinto thing, Chris has four kids. His youngest is Coleman. I don't know. I think he's 10 or 11. Now. I don't even know how old he is, but Chris kind of watched this same thing. And I'm like, man, he's, he's taking it a little rough. Well, guess what? I'm, I'm kind of dealing with that now too. So, um, you know, I want to, I want to spend some more time with him. but you're right. Cal, I didn't think I would be competing against Cal Lane, Laker Howell, all these guys, and I'm sure several several other guys out there that their kids are coming up through the ranks. Marty uh, Marshall Robertson, Marshall, yeah, I, I, he came and practiced with me at the Open on uh, Hartwell a few years ago, and and um, we we both finished thirteenth in that event. And I texted him; I was so proud of him up there at the at the Toyota Championship for finishing second, but. um we need these fish to swim back to the bank so so these us guys can get them this panning over 200 foot of water and catching them in the middle of nowhere with a with a bait two inches long man that's that's getting old dave that's getting real old to me (laughs) i I, I want to talk to you about that but the craziest thing about all those
0: kids for me is if you look at when you guys went to do the mlf thing like i mean i every morning i'd say you get. Boats would leave, and I'd see the kids fishing on the shore and do whatever and and to have relationships with most of those kids. But they were all kids when they left. And then all of a sudden, I see, like, you know, Marshall Robinson, you know, almost won that big event and all these different – like, it's like –
1: it's so crazy.
0: But you mentioned forward-facing sonar. My
1: son – and they're getting to be smart butts, too. My son, I texted him yesterday. I said, hey, you want to go flip headwaters? He says, yeah, but – are you going to be able to handle it dad when I kick your butt in the boat? I'm like, Son, <laughs> really? are you a better flipper than your dad? He goes, absolutely. Like these kids, he's taller than me now. And he's bigger than me. He bumped me around here last night thinking he was tough guy, but I got to get back and pumping some iron because I'm telling you, he's on the varsity football team and he's not too far from knocking me over. He knows better, but that's their mentality is I'm going to kick your butt. And that's the same with the, 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 these kids moving up is um, you know, there's, they're, they're thinking like I did when I was, I actually started when I was like 25, 26. So they got nine years on me, but their mentality is we don't care who's in our way. We're going to stomp right over you. And, and uh, you know, it's our job as older anglers, some of us veterans, blah, 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 and make sure that doesn't happen (laughs) or try to keep it from happening. I don't think we're going to stop them by no means at all, but we can try to prove a point that we know more than them, but man, they're, they're hammers. They really are they 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 are and but do you think that that I'm going to kick your butt
0: do you think that that's an important part because that's something that exists in all of you guys whether it's golf whether it's yeah, whatever yeah. and i think it's even more so the younger you are you know what i mean but i feel like when for laker howell to say he's going to kick your butt you have right. so many years of experience you know what i mean so the only thing he can overcome yeah. that with is confidence and and obviously technology nowadays
1: well yes that is for sure and and I think confidence is good but I think I'm going to kick your butt um it's gone a little too far I'll say I'll see you at the weigh-in and normally that kick your butt all of a sudden got erased and I go to him at the next tournament I said uh hey you want to have another bet here let's double the stakes they're like no I'm good I'm good so (laughs) they need to know that we can still handle our own out there um but, you know, I like the fire in them as long as they don't, you know, toot their horn too much and stay humble. I think you have to have confidence because, I mean, you know, look who's out here now. I mean, you got guys that have done it all, guys that are coming up and doing it all. I mean, you you better be able to, to let your fish do the talking for the most part, but be be humble, but be confident enough to know that if you find them, you're a force to be reckoned with. And I think that's what these boys... Continually are going to keep doing, you know. Let them let them keep coming up through the ranks, Dave. And pretty soon you're going to be talking to them on stage. I promise you. And then you're going to be talking to them in the top ten, and you're going to be yanking a hook out of their hand with with uh, (laughs) with the braid trick, you know. And and that's the way these that's that's the way these guys are driven. They have a goal, just like I have a goal, and they're not content until they till they reach these goals. You like forward
0: facing? I mean, I know you use it. Everybody's got to use it, but are you a fan of it? Good for the sport, bad for the sport. What's your take on forward facing sonar? Uh,
1: well, after winning Redcrest, I'm a huge fan because everybody was using forward facing and sonar, and I actually I did use some forward facing sonar there. But for the most part, I I I proved that forward facing sonar can be beat, right? And Jason Christie won the Bassmaster yeah. Classic, proving that it can be beat. I think it's uh I, I think it's um an easy way to find fish. I think it's, uh, guys are learning more and more about it. Here's the thing. When you go to forward facing sonar though, like, okay, I've had the most horrible practice guys drive out in the middle of the lake, throw their forward facing sonar down and just cruise the river channel and, and somehow come in with, Oh, I figured them out. Right. That gives these guys something else to do. You know, when, when a shallow guy like myself, Jason Christie, Greg Hackney, all, you know, the shallow guys, we, we, uh, when we struggle on the bank, we run somewhere new, but it's on the bank, right? Yeah. And these guys have a tough practice. They have, they can't catch anything on the bank. They immediately go to that forward facing sonar, which I think it's good. I don't have, I love forward facing sonar. I caught a 10 pounder on it last year. Um, soon as I got it. And it was, uh, it was very cool and I've caught quite a few fish on it. It's come very key for smallmouth, but, um, I think it's something you have to have, but, in the same time, I think it's helping the shallow water guys. Also, we're, we're starting to see the banks touched as, and the guys that go up there, maybe only spend an hour now, then they get back on their forward-facing sonar because guess what? You can't see them when you're up there in a foot or two foot of water, right? Now they go back, okay, I can see these fish. Now I just want to figure out how to catch them or what are these fish? And guys spend less time on the bank. So I like forward-facing sonar in two ways. It's been very beneficial to me And I also like it because it's teaching guys also to stay off the bank and go look for something where they have to look at the fish. So um, I, I, I mean, everybody has it now. Everybody's learning more and more ways to use it. I'm actually asking what's next, Dave. Yeah. Is it going to get better than this? Because it almost seems like it's, you know Alabama rig you know you throw it out there and you wind it in and you hope one bites it right and if you do that five times a day then you come in with the big stringer and um you know they've had to tweak that thing a little bit and I I uh I'm, I'm curious to see how this thing goes because it it really is you pan around now all of a sudden you know where to throw at least your base yeah. landing where there's some dots not where there isn't any dots so it's uh I'm a huge fan of it I'm gonna I'm running active target with Lawrence and And it has put a lot more fish in my boat for sure.
0: One thing you said a few minutes ago that I don't think a lot of people know. I think a lot of people assume that the Lane brothers, you know what I mean? That they, when you see Cal and you know what I mean? Well, they must've just fished tournaments since they were 12 years old. You didn't start, I mean, you fished tournaments growing up, but you didn't start the pro thing until a little later. Um, Why was that? Was that just
1: everything had to line up or? Well, I don't really know the 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 best answer. Me and Chris and Arnie, my older brother, we all fish tournaments together. Um, you know, my dad would take one of us and then he would throw the john boat with the 35 horse that you would pull till you had blisters in your hand, trying to get it started every morning. The live well had holes in the bottom of the boat, and you had to get on a plane to actually force water up through the live well I mean, that's how I grew up. That was my the green machine, is what we called it. And I remember for hours in the morning, and your hands would just you couldn't fish, they were so blistered. But uh we, we did some of those things, and then Chris kind of went off on the BFL and he did that for a year and and He worked for, you know, our family business, Macklin, and I had a lawn company at the time. Arnie was um, in college doing whatever Arnie does. I still don't know to this day exactly what Arnie does. He works (laughs) for my dad, and then he works for Macklin, and then uh, blah, blah, blah. But um, Chris went to the BFL, and he made the regional. I said, well, if Chris can do it, I think I can do it, you know? So I went to the BFL, and then I fished the regional, and then I made the All-American and then we kind of went from there. You know, my first BFL I ever fished, I finished 186 out of 200. It wasn't the best way to start. I never missed a top 10 the rest of that year and kind of rode the ship um, since then. But um, And that's kind of the way my brother was also. But the reason we got started later, I think, was was because I had a lawn company. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Chris, Chris had a good job. He didn't know what. And then all of a sudden I got a 10 grand check and he got a 10 grand check. We're still only getting ten grand checks. That was twenty years ago, right? Um, but ne- nevertheless, it kind of led us into both the professional bass fishing side. We both started at the FLW. We had the 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 really good, not so good Ranger Memo deal. You know, where you get your boat, and at the end of the year, you got to sell it for forty thousand, and you owe thirty nine thousand, but you made <laughs> six hundred bucks. You know, it was we, me and Chris went down all those roads. You know, and. And um, we didn't start till we were twenty five, 26, and um since then it's just been a it was a mountain to climb, learning the finesse stuff for both of us on the b- both sides because we grew up in Florida, and nobody really taught us. we we my dad was a huge mentor, and so was my grandfather, but it was strictly worms in top water. like that's all you threw. nobody flipped, nobody had a drop shot, nobody had the shaky heads, swim baits, any buzz. I mean, we didn't have any of that stuff. We had to learn all this on our own. so, um, I think it's it's made us both, you know, the fishermen that we are today. And and the reason we didn't start is because we didn't have these avenues that the kids have now. Yeah, the fishing the high I'm putting on the Bobby Lane Cup here in just two weeks, December third at Camp Mac, we got 350 kids are going to be there, we're going to give away hopefully around 25 $35,000 in scholarships give these kids a reason to go to school learn more about fishing. None of that was around when we were younger. So you know, I think me and Chris both agree we want to leave this place better than when we found it. And we're doing all we can in our communities to make that happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great event that you run. It's a, and it's amazing the amount of, of pros that do run events like that. You yes. know, there's a there's a bunch of people doing that. Where did um
1: where did the name Pinto come oh, from, Chris? Gonna, I knew you were going to ask this. So. <laughs> we have... We have a cabin down at Shady Oaks in, in the south end of Kissimmee. We've had it for years. I mean, this thing is, it is pretty it now, let me tell you. Nobody goes down there too much. We actually rent it out now. But we went in there one night. We had a tournament out of Camp Mac the next morning, and we always would just go down to the cabin, and me, Arnie, and Chris were down there. Well, we got fishing on our mind, right? Maybe a, maybe a pop or two. You never know. But what did we forget? Food. We had zero food. Like we didn't take anything with us. The cabin had been abandoned for, you know, maybe five, six months. And of course, anything down there is, you know, what's in the fridge is no good. So we, we were playing some cards and I'm like, man, I'm hungry. Arnie's like, yeah, let's figure out what we got around here. And we started, there's nothing. There were six cans of pinto beans in the cabinet. Right. And, um, (laughs) we opened up all six cans and we dumped them in the in the pot right that's we're going to split two cans apiece. that's our dinner pinto beans and uh me and arnie went outside to start the fire and uh we came back in dave literally there's like half a can of pinto beans left in the whole entire <laughs> pot chris must have taken it it's like a trough and just dumped it down his throat. Five and three-quarter cans of pinto beans went down (laughs) his throat. Now, trust me, he paid the price that night. He paid the price the next day. It was brutal for him, but we called him pinto from there on out because me and Arnie, out of six cans, we literally got like a quarter of a can to split between me and Arnie. Chris couldn't handle it. He (laughs) ate them all, man. Oh.
0: Some of your some of your brother stories are the best. Like, I, I mean, you heard me say it on that other podcast, and it's true. Like, one of the things, I'm excited to have you back on the Elite Series, you know, once yeah. you get through the gauntlet that is the yeah, open the, gaunt- the gauntlet. Um, but th- what I'm most excited about is just hanging out with you. Because, I mean, some of the stories that you've told me over the years with you guys, um, how competitive were
1: the Lane brothers growing up with each other? Here's the beautiful thing about the Lane brothers, all three of us. We, we are kind of competitive, but all in all, we, we stick by, we were raised by my grandfather was a Marine man. I mean, he was tough. It was the reason I have no hair is because he yanked all of my hair out when I was in the boat half the time. Right. I mean, this guy was, he was mean, he was tough. And uh, we lived on Oreos, frozen hot dogs, frosted flakes is all we had for lunch. At night, you had, you know, it was a pot pie or a ravioli. I mean, we grew up and it was rough. In the boat, it was a jug of water that had, the holes were plugged with silicone and you threw it outside the boat for the water to get cold in the middle of the summer. And you had an Oreo to eat for a snack or a Vienna sausage. I mean, we grew up tough. So, and my dad was in Vietnam. So, I mean, things things kind of were that way with the Lane family. And, and we grew up that way. Blood's thicker than water. Families family's family so competitive was was key for sure and in the beginning of our career we were a lot more competitive because we couldn't even pay our bills you know Chris is trying to pay his bills I'm trying to pay my bills and we're we're just worried about catching fish and cashing as many checks as we could now that we've moved on in our careers we both have major titles we got good sponsorship and and so on so forth we've become less competitive and and more brothers and friends just like Arnie um, we were, we we play golf as much as we can, which lately hasn't been enough, uh, time to do anything, but we, we actually tried to line up a big golf tournament with me, Arnie and, uh, Chris and my dad, but we, me and Arnie only live a couple miles from each other. And my dad lives right in between us. So we, we don't go over there and compete, but if you get in a boat, it's five, five, five first, most, and biggest, um, and and that used to be dollar, dollar, dollar. So the stakes have gone up. Inflation has gone up in, in my dad's boat. It's picked up to five, five, five. He's got to keep the gas in it. But um, that was really the only competitive. We we love beating each other and something like that. But when it came down to a tournament, if Arnie needs help, I'm gonna help him. If Chris needs help today, I'm gonna help him. And if I need help, he'll help me on the water. And uh believe it or not, we never work together. Me and you could ask Chris, wow, are they biting? Bob, they are biting really good. On what? I can't tell you where. Well, you know, anywhere from two to 19 foot. I'm like, wow, docks, rocks, bushes. Ah, uh, they're just, you know, just fish, Bob. They're biting. Okay, well, uh, that helps a lot. Thank you very much. That's the way we work together. There was no working together. You know, it would be it would be every man for himself. And I think that's made us better fishermen. You know, you don't want to, help is good thing and it and it can get you out of a bind. But when you actually crack the code of the puzzle, put the pieces of the puzzle together yourself man it makes you so much of a better fisherman and in the long run it's going to get you so much further when you don't have to call somebody and kind of say hey you know I'm struggling a little bit here can you can you dial me in I mean those are the those are the days that you regret making that call but sometimes you have to and me and Chris kind of never went down that road together I mean it makes you your own angler
0: really it makes you you're not trying to fish the way that your brother does you're fishing your way but I was meaning more specifically growing up. I mean, uh, what happened to Pinto <laughs> after you guys found out he ate all the beans? Like, yeah, well, w- w- yeah. were
1: there wars? <laughs> there was some big wars. It was always me and Arnie against Chris. Chris was Chris was big bone, big dude, man. I mean, I'm tough. I could if I got him in the chokehold, he would he would you know tap out immediately. But Arnie was a little scrawnier than both of us, so me and Arnie would team up on Chris. Um, I do remember one incident. We used to play this game where you would take my dad's uh, leather belt, they would leave and go to dinner and we would watch the house and in the in the hallway, you would take the belt, put it in a circle, you know, like when you pull it, it would like a lasso, right? It would strap around your ankle and you would tap your foot in that belt and the other brother would try to pull it. And if they caught your ankle, you know, it hurt pretty good. And one time I was tapping my my foot inside that belt and normally when you pull it and it hits their ankle, they're out, now it's your turn, right? And Chris strapped me down and he yanked on that stupid belt and it knocked me on my butt, right? And I got madder than a hint wet set in because he wasn't supposed to do that. That's not the rules of the game. And I literally bum rushed him, hit him so hard that I knocked him through the 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 drywall (laughs) in the hallway, right? I mean, we knocked a hole like four foot wide and long in the hallway. What does every kid do, right? We're gonna tape it up. We taped it up. My parents come in the minute they walked in. it looks so stupid sitting there, right? We got we got uh, taken to the shed uh, the next morning immediately um, and got dealt with in the shed for doing that stunt. But yeah, there was wars like that all the time, throwing <laughs> each other through walls or turning one another in. I mean, it was it was it, but it was a fun growing up brotherhood, man. And I mean, that's what makes us stronger, all of us brothers today. But yeah, definitely wars competition Uh, my nickname was bobby humble because i always thought i was a hot shot my dad gave me that and you know it it was pool ping pong i mean all of it and to this day anytime we go anywhere there's always a bet i mean it's always always always, got always a bet that's the coolest thing about families if you ask me like you
0: know nothing unifies families better than somebody outside of the family saying something or your parents coming home because, I mean, every family. Because you, you know, like if you, you can hate your brother at certain times growing up, I hate right. you. Yeah. And then if some other kid comes and says he hates your brother, you, you, it, it's all gone. You hate that yeah, dude now. You, your
1: hate just went over to that guy times ten. Like this guy's. I remember one fight we got in in Plant City, and I mean, we got beat up bad. They drugged me. I got that somehow. I got stuck with a golden glove boxer. He hit me twenty one times. <laughs> in the head we found out the next day because I had 21 bumps on my forehead they literally drug me over the asphalt and I hear this guy help and I'm like what that sounds like my brother and about a quarter of a mile from me my brother's hemmed up against this tree just getting the fire beat out of him and I run over <laughs> there and I fly and superman this guy right <laughs> knocking off and another guy jumps on me and my brother's sitting there and I watch him just take a face kick to the mouth and for two weeks, he had to drink out of a straw, you know, but that was me saving my brother from probably getting worse than his space kicked. I'm beat up to, but you know, when, when two or three guys are on him, I go over there to do the best we can. And I remember going into the mirror in this guy's bathroom and Chris is talking. He's like, Bobby, I think my jaw's broke. I said, no, open your mouth, Chris, your jaw's not broke. Just open your mouth. He goes, Bobby, I can't open my jaw. I think my jaw's broke. And, and it was swelling up like he had a mouthful of grapes in it as we're looking at it, man. It was it was hilarious. It wasn't real funny at the time, but no. back in, we didn't care. It was, nobody cared back then. No, no, it was it was much different <laughs> than uh, your story. And many more of these stories, Dave. Oh. This is just touching on a small part of my brain that I can remember right now. I've got stories that, that will keep you going for hours. I want to do
0: a podcast one day with, with both. I mean, if we could get Arnie it to be even more incredible, but I know that might be tougher to set up, but you and Chris together, like I, you guys really like, if you don't make it in the fishing deal, which I think you both did, <laughs> you can just tell stories. I mean, to, to, you're a couple of
1: the most entertaining people out there. I'm but disappointed. Think- I'm disappointed. And I'll tell you why. And I think you maybe need to be the first, somebody needs to do this. Why hasn't there been, the, the classic champion and the Red Crest champion on the same podcast together. I mean, really, two brothers that have, have feeded over what all brothers have done or trying to do. Me and Chris have done it, and this hasn't been done. It's a little disappointing to me. And I think we both deserve the love. And Let's do it. Sign up for it. Let's do it. When are
0: you guys together next? Thanksgiving, Christmas, whenever you let me know in the next month. Let's,
1: whenever you two are going to be together, I would love to have you both on because, yep, uh, that's what needs to happen. I mean, it's, it's been, nobody's done that and I'm a little disappointed at that because those are two major titles. And I don't think there's been a set of brothers that has accomplished that Has there, Dave, Can not that know I know of, not that, not I, know that of I know of what I mean. And before, uh, before we endeavor our careers, let's get it. Why we're, we're both on cloud nine. I mean, having him come up there and give me that giant hug at red crest, just like about when I knocked him over at the classic man, I mean, those those memories will shine forever. The classic, I still remember, like <laughs> it's so
0: weird when you're on the stage and you what I mean. For you guys, you guys come up there, you're up there for a few seconds. You know what I mean? Like it's such a quick time, but like when you win, you're up there for a while. And I knew you were backstage. Like I knew, you know, because right. you were back there for a few anglers, you know what I mean, waiting to see if this happened. <laughs> but I'm telling you, like, it's not often that. I guess I was focused on Chris or wherever I was, but all I heard is. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? And the next day, I mean, that was one of the greatest celebration moments ever. Um, and, and, and so was the red crest moment. Um, because like I said, that's exactly back to, Hey, that's my brother you know what that's i mean there's bro. no competition anymore remember and...
1: we have a little side action going on for some of these majors so <laughs> it's pretty exciting for everybody when when elaine wins especially in the family
0: <laughs> yeah very exciting do you know the johnson brothers i mean you're going to get to yeah. know them a little bit they do split everything they have one account but wow. this is like since they i mean they've been taking people's money since they were 12 years old it's horrible right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they. they but but so when they were kids they started that let's do one account together and all the money goes in and still to this day all the money goes in um it, it's just but i mean if that's
1: I there's been a pretty good chunk of change shipped into that account over yeah. the past couple of years because <laughs> them two boys flat are hammers man and and uh i'm glad to see them doing well they they uh it's nice to see a band of brothers stick yeah. together well it's money or whatever kind of like me and my brother when we when we won these two big ones it's 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 fun to see brothers stick together and and chris and corey are the same way man they they seem like they work really well together and and can keep that brotherhood like me and my brother have yeah
0: no and they beat the crap out of each other a lot trust me still (laughs) to this day (laughs)
1: maybe chris and bobby
0: against uh
1: in you um i don't there's a few brothers you got jordan lee and matt lee out there you never oh, know come them. on
0: come on jordan lee and matt lee are incredible anglers but i don't think they last a I'm, brown I'm trying to get a secured win maybe <laughs> to get me into the final <laughs> all right i know you got a big afternoon and i don't want to take all your time but i got one last question for you yeah, man, let's is, have it. what is the best advice you've ever been given in your life
1: wow uh the best advice I have ever been given in my life. I'm looking at my wife and, and she's, she's not helping me out. with. Me. Yeah, it had to come from her, right? Stick with it. I know Clearly really know it. You can't pay the bills this month, but I need you, honey, get out there and catch them. Right. Uh, it's, uh, it's probably, um, it, it has to be, I mean, I've been given a lot of advice and I've asked for a lot of advice and just not fishing, but, um, probably since we're doing, a, we, we in the fishing career, right. I would say, um, my, my three things. And and I mentioned this the other day on Matt, Matt, uh, Bass Talk Live, um, conf- confidence, uh, versatility. And what was the other one, Madeline? Cons- he sent it to me. I need to look Memory. at it. Oh, yeah, I need, a more, I need more memory. Um, but there was three things that I have kind of taken, and, and those are going to go on my boat this year. I'm going to put those three things on my boat. I'm going to tell you real quick. I'm going to look exactly what he said, or I told him, because those are kind of what I believed on. And somebody told me those were, uh, I think it was my dad or my, uh, my grandfather told me um, those three things, consistency, versatility, and competence. And if you can, if you can carry those things, through your fishing career, um, that is the best advice I can give to I- anybody. And if you think about it, if your confidence is up, you're going to catch them. If you're versatile, you can, you can make a decision without hesitating and knowing it's the right decision. As long as you have the the confidence in those baits, um, or confidence in yourself. And, uh, you know, I think those are the ones that, that mean the most to me, man. And and I think somebody told me, you know, throw that rear view mirror in the back seat, no matter what decision you make, know that, you know, God put you down this path to, to do it for a reason. Like, why did you quit the Bass Pro Tour? Ah, you know, here's my reason is because I, I'm, I trust in God to believe that no matter what avenue or path I go down, he's putting my, me and my family down the right path. And, And we ask him for advice all the time, but I think those three things that I talked about are the advice I would give anybody moving forward. Somewhere, somehow, somebody gave me those for sure. Which is the most important
0: of those three?
1: If you had to choose one quality
0: to be successful at tournament fishing specifically.
1: If I had to pick one between consistency, versatility, and confidence, I will say confidence for sure. If you have confidence, you can go, f- and I've done it. I, I remember um, a Toyota Texas Bass Classic we fished.
0: Because right, Bobby Rainier. Lane was
1: born at the TTBC. Yeah, that's, that's where right. that, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, we were. I I weighed in eleven pounds the first day and was in ninety eighth place out of a hundred.
0: Okay, and it I'm- wasn't that year that that nickname came up. Just
1: no, it wasn't that year. You're right. <laughs> no. That was on uh, Lake Fork. When I yeah, caught yeah. an 11-pound, 15-ouncer to win the Lou Casey truck and the, and the boots and the hat, that was uh, pretty cool. But, I, I, I mean, so many tournaments, I, I find myself struggling the first day, or if I do struggle, how do I build my confidence up enough to go fish, right? Or how do I, how do I get myself out of this position? And I remember it at, at Sam Rayburn, I, I, just, uh, I picked up a Berkeley Chapo and I went to just throwing it once I caught one. I said, I'm going to throw it all day. I come in with 26 pounds, biggest, biggest stringer of the day. And I went from 98th place all the way to like 20th place. And I've done that so many times throughout my career. I wish I'd kind of catch him on the first day. So I make it easier on myself, but that's the kind of, you know, think of Phil Mickelson, Dave, Phil Mickelson is one of the best golfers ever besides Tiger Woods, right? I mean, Rory McIlroy, Phil ranks right up there with those guys. Phil Mickelson hits the fairway less than anyone else out there. He finds himself more in the junk than anybody else. But his short game and his approach to the green, his confidence knowing no matter where I drive the ball, if it's playable, I will play a shot to get on the green. And I think if you think of that like a fisherman, man, no matter what goes on the first day, you know, I can always recover the second day. Or if my first day's really good, how do I manage the second day? And if you have the confidence knowing that you're versi- that you're fishing in, in fish the way you like to fish. Not just go pick up a 15 inch swim bait and throw it, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Like let's use common sense a little bit, but sticking to what you know best. Let's go back to our roots a little bit, kind of kind of like me going back to the Bassmaster Classic or trying to get there, right? Getting back to my roots a little bit, but sticking to those goals and knowing that you have confidence in everything you're doing throughout the day man it makes it so much easier and when you catch that first one the light bulb goes off and that's the most dangerous thing as a fisherman that actually puts that one piece of puzzle together once his confidence jumps my practices are the same way for red crest i did not catch a fish the first day of practice until twelve thirty. i spent seven hours on the water that or six hours on the water never caught a scoreable bass the light went off and i started running the pattern and it got me to the wind so the confidence is key, and know that you you got to just keep looking to, for those puzzles, pieces of that puzzle. And once you put that baby together, man, you give these anglers that little bit of boost, and they will take it all the way to the top ten every single time. Dude,
0: it, it's it's
1: awesome to have
0: you on the show. It's awesome to talk again. You know what I mean? Get, I mean, it's and not when we stop talking, again. but it's, it's, it's weird. You work in a different factory. It's not like – I said from the start, I'm never judge any person for where they choose to make a living. You know what I mean? But I am excited that you've chosen to make a living somewhere where we'll get to talk a little more. And um, you brought it up. So it's the balls in your court. I'm ready to have the Champ Champ Brothers Christmas yeah, special. Yeah. I mean, it would be wonderful. So and I um, am ready.
1: You mentioned it. I'm going to go through the gauntlet. Right. And I I dream about this. and i'm and i I am very hopeful you know next year you can't predict the future but i want to jump the line right the gauntlet to jump the line to to safety i mean that's kind of what this whole thing is right i gotta be able to jump the line you can't predict anything but i'm doing everything in my power to to build myself up mentally and physically to be more prepared than i ever have been and and uh ready to put that Toyota Phoenix Yamaha to work man and i mean i'm i'm so ready to get back out there i'm already thinking of when can i practice when can i get out there but um i'm 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 also i'm ready to jump the line to to safety again <laughs> well
0: i'm ready to watch it all go down and uh, hey if we do do that christmas special make sure we do it like evening you know like refreshment time (laughs) i think it'll make it even better
1: oh well it was you deal with you deal with my brother sometimes i'd say right now would be okay you know you never know what kind of day he has but um no we'll we do need to get that done i'm gonna mention it to him um it's it's been a pleasure it's always good to see you it's nice to see you again after i watched your podcast with with Jake, I'm like, golly, I got to reach out to Dave, you know, and, and, uh, you know, louis has been calling me and Matt's been calling me and I've talked to Chase Anderson a couple times. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's a big family, dude. It really is. And it's, it's nice to kind of open arms and be, and be welcomed, you know, for sure. Dude, it, it, it's,
0: We're all lucky to work in the industry we work in. And I've said this from the start when it got messy and people want to turn this into some sort of war. Yeah, right. Hey, man, you get the wrong call about any of us. And unfortunately, we all got that call not too long ago. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. And, and all yeah. of a sudden nobody gives a shit what league you fish for. <laughs> it, it, there I go with I, podcast went too long. I, had I know smoke, I can Bobby. have
1: that effect on people though too. I can get them built up to where where that language starts like that. And I've wanted to say several words, but I know we're being professionals here, Dave. We're we're this and that, but yes, it it has been a big pile of it, for sure.
0: Yeah. And
1: um, you know, time to have some fun, right? I want to I want to I want to kind of get into you know what I what I like to do again and that's putting five fish in the live well and, and bringing them to a stage and and uh, you know let's hope I bring enough of them big dudes in next year to 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 jump that line and um maybe we can, maybe you can be there when I jump the line or I'm I'm only asking one I got nine events next year okay Hopefully somewhere down the line we can we can run cross paths next year at one of the uh, one of the opens.
0: Uh, I will make sure we make that happen. Cold pops. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. There he is. Oh, last question. Are you going to be able to defend
1: the red crest title? Um, that was on the fence. Um, yes. And no, and yes, and no. And as okay. of, a, as of a, a last week, the answer is no, I will not be there to defend my red crest title.
0: Well, he is your reigning Redcast champion, and I'm going to make a prediction right now. And and I don't know what year it's going to be, but Bobby Lane will be a Bassmaster Classic champion. Um, I, I just don't see a world where it doesn't happen, Bobby. You've been too close, and um, oh man, you,
1: you're going to have to go now, dude. You're bringing them chills. I got to get there, and like you said, I'm I'm uh, I'm hungry for that, and I I'm I'm ready to give it all I got. Forty-eight years old. Give me a prediction on how many years you can, what's the oldest classic winner? 50. 50. I,
0: who is it? Was it Cochran second class? I
1: lost or? to Cochran that year. Um, Or I wasn't, I, I had a deal go. Cochran won that one. And I remember, but I think he was, you know, who would know is Ken Duke. I mean, you could ask. He knows him. everything. He knows everything, but I think, I think I got another seven, eight years to, to that, that I could definitely, maybe 10, you never know. I mean, the, the, the veterans in bass fishing seem to be getting better and better for sure. But um, so, so do the younger guys. But I think, I think if um, you focus on that one tournament, I think 10 more years for sure. So I got 10 more years, man, to, to, to reach my goal and and I'm ready to try it. Can't wait to see it happen. And you're not even close to
0: the oldest. I mean, we have Larry Nixon coming back 72 years old. Oh no, no, not old. And, I'm and, winning and the he Classic. hasn't even, yeah, yeah. But he hasn't, He hasn't even the old, like I I talked to him yesterday and I said, is it more shocking to you that you're not only are you coming back, but the fact that you're coming back at 72 years old and you're not even the oldest dude on tour.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's, we got, we got a lot of longevity here. I've, I've, I uh, I'm, I'm, I've kind of, I'm prepared for this moment, man. I'm uh, like, you said, I keep saying next year's probably going to be a little bit of a grind Um, we're gonna, you know, I know Scott Martin, I talked to Brandon McMillan, Scott Martin, when he went through this, he said, Scott was all over town, kind of, you know, he wasn't himself. And, and, and I can feel some of those jitters for sure. I mean, why can't you feel those jitters, right? You kind of, you got to go back and you got to qualify for somewhere that you spent half your life. I mean, unfortunately that's the way it is. And, and, uh, you know, that's what we're willing to do. Enjoy those jitters
0: because those jitters that's why you're coming back. You know what I mean? That's right, because right, there's right. another goal ahead and um, I can't wait to see it go down.
1: Big fish, Bobby Lane. Thank you oh, very it much. It feels good to hear that name again. I love it. <laughs> Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Like it would one time, Dave, come on. You're calling uh, me this up. This is on so stage.
0: uncomfortable. This is no, so uncomfortable.
1: You, no, I got to hear it. I got, you said it there, but I. you're
0: reigning. You Red crest champion returning. Back home to the Bassmaster Elite Series, Big Fish Bobby Lane. It's so awkward when I do that, and I'm. Oh no, you're awesome! So. Thank you wow. for
1: thank you for this, dude. It was it was a pleasure, and uh, I hope all those stories uh, help everybody understand what the Lane brothers really went through when they were younger.
0: <laughs> amazing stories and amazing family, and uh, give them all a hug for me. And uh, I look forward to hugging them in person. You got it. You got it. Thank you so much. Smiling. yeah, yeah, Can't stop smiling. And that is the pattern when you talk to uh, Bobby Lane. And not just Bobby. The Lane family is honestly the first family of fishing, maybe. I don't know what the right term is, but, but what they have accomplished. Two brothers, as Bobby said, to win Redcrest and to win the Bassmaster Classic from... Pinto beans to the very perch of professional fishing, um, an amazing, but, but aside from all that they've, they've accomplished, and I think it really kind of showed out in this last little conversation, they're just great people, and um, I thank them for, for being the people they are, being the inspiration, not just on the water, but off the water, and uh, that was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and, and I really hope that we can put together the Champ Champs Christmas special or whatever ends up happening. And and I know that we will. Um, and we should. But um, that's it for this week. Thank you all. Make sure to like, subscribe, and all that stuff. Keep blowing up this channel, and uh, I'll keep bothering you with a new show every Wednesday. Putting hump in your hump day. And you know how it always ends. Take it away, Bob Cobb. Oh, wait. Happy Thanksgiving to all my American friends. Now, take it away,
1: Bob Cobb. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told
0: you to. You hear?